0: a big part of the advocacy around neurodiversity is to say, no, 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 different isn't less. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And, and there are so many beautiful strengths mm-hmm. about it.
1: Hey, everyone. It's Raghu. I am back. And I'm back with uh, someone that's... Gee, how long have we known each other, Nicole? Not that long, right?
0: Not that long. Maybe two years since I've been going to the Maui retreats?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So I met her through Ram Dass, as I meet most people through Ram Dass over the years, Nicole Tetral, And... um yeah, tell me just a little bit about how you even came to the point where, I mean, Nicole is a neuroscientist, everybody, and has a wonderful book that, uh, from a couple of years ago. And it encompasses neuroscience. And the, what I want to get at today is the way in which we can take this kind of information, which is, has a scientific uh, undercurrent, shall we say, and nomenclature and so on that people get nervous about. But there's stuff in here that I think can really help us all. You don't have to have any real acumen around the sciences, but the reality is things can change. And that's what Nicole and I were just talking about. And she was about to say, even with you at your age, you can still probably change a little bit. Uh, so yeah, talk. how did you even get to any kind of interest? And I, I know you have an interesting childhood.
0: My interest in neuroscience really started um, when I was 18. Um, My mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So it's a neurodegenerative disease where um, you lose motor neurons. And over time, it becomes a global um, experience in the brain because everything is connected. Um, And so for me, I really came into neuroscience wanting to reduce suffering for her, suffering for people who were, who were dealing with Parkinson's, um, which led me to kind of my studies where I transitioned a little bit out of, um, Parkinson's research because it was a little bit too heavy, um, when I was at UCLA and I moved over to Caltech and focused my studies on autism. And what I found is that there are a lot of similarities when we're looking at the brain and we're thinking about neuroinflammation um, and we're thinking about social connection and our reward systems and how we just process life and how much inflammation was related to the experience. On top of it, at the same time, I was diagnosed with cancer myself um when i was in graduate school uh oh, um, really
1: oh i did yeah know they told me mm-hmm.
0: and um when i was diagnosed with cancer i had a 1 year old um i was at ucla and i pretty much wanted to drop out um i was in really deep depression and i showed up and i landed in the psychologist's office and mm. they did a workup and basically you know when I said I was in this deep depression, they kind of like blew me off about it and said, I'm going to send you to a psychiatrist. I think you need medication. And I landed in the psychiatrist's office and they did, uh, you know, I explained everything I was dealing with. And I was like, do you think i bipolar? Am I crazy? You know, I started, you know, started to believe it. And she looked at me and it was like this doorway of compassion where she said, you're suffering. You're in this depths of suffering and everything you're experiencing is absolutely normal. And I have two options for you. One, I could start giving you medication to go to sleep, to help you out. Two, we have UCLA Mark here and I'd like you to start doing meditation. Mm. And that was really the doorway that started to transform my relationship with suffering where going in it as a scientist it was all about a fixing model rather than sitting with and bearing witness and that became kind of really pivotal later on because when my mother was in the very late stages of parkinsons um and I had you know I had finished my phd program and she had about 3 months left to live and I declined um academic positions to be with her Mm. and to sit with her and transition and and become a science writer and a communicator Um, and really honor to her because I felt like by the time like a scientific study happens, it takes about seven years before the public even knows. And so I really wanted to be able to be that doorway for people to use what they needed from scientific information um, and, and communicate that as well as like, let go of what doesn't work for you. And so it was, it was a big shift in my life. And when that happened was, I was still at that time suffering from a lot of anxiety, like, My fear circuitry was just on fire.
1: Is this related to the cancer?
0: um, After I no, it it was related to my mom dying. So Mm. death in a different way. Right. (laughs) right? Mm. Um, Not my personal death, but I mean, I guess there are deaths that you have when somebody else passes because the memories of them your connection together is that physical presence is gone, even though the memories still live. Um, Mm. but it was really my coming together with how, um, when my mom was, you know, transitioning and, and kind of every single baseline, you know, she was in a wheelchair, not very, uh, different than Ram Dass, you know, um, for her last years. And, there were so many different baselines being her daughter that I had to come to terms with that, Mm. you know, I, I'm not going to hike with her again. I'm not going to, um, you know, be able to do certain activities, you know, um, an amazing thing we got to do was swim in a pool, you know, where she was weightless. Mm. Um, but, one thing that I always would do was take her food. I would I would visit her and bring her meals. And this one time I was just nervously, you know, preparing food for her and, and at the time I was in graduate school, you know, very restricted budget, but I would go all out and get her kind of the nicest food I can get her. And um and I was in the kitchen and I just remember nervously preparing it. And her saying, stop, stop. Just sit and hold my hand. And sitting with her was really a transformative experience because she started to hold my hand and say, I know, I know, I know. And it was the first time of like really being aware of bearing witness of that suffering in real time, you know, rather than it being a thought or, you know, um, this is a feeling or this is an emotion, but it was like bearing witness together, like, okay, we're doing this thing. And this is, this is how we're, how we're going to do it. And, and so it, it just changed me because I said, I'm going to be with her through this. And, and it became a living meditation being with her as she transitioned.
1: Mm. You know, they say that uh, everybody, of course, has parents and most of the time, most, you will be going through a transition with one of them, if not both. Mm -hmm. And that opportunity is humongous in terms of relating with death, birth, and the, you know, complete absolute uh rule of thumb which is impermanence Mm. and then you can start to live with it you know well before you're in you're going to go through the bardos so that that's pretty amazing nicole
0: yeah and i love what you said though how it's this layering of impermanence and that also remembering to be present right like how we have these doorways and these opportunities and we don't really know all the lessons and the why our parents are our parents but it it does create who we are and like even scientifically you know when we think about ancestors mm-hmm. you know their dna imprints of different types of trauma You know, come into our physiology um, and just how that all plays. Sorry, I didn't mean to be like so heavy when we first sat down. No. <laughs> it wasn't like I became a neuroscientist because.
1: <laughs> so, no, yeah,
0: I've always no, been no, a little no. heavy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no problem. You know, uh, but no, I was, I am really interested in the imprinting, DNA imprinting from ancestors and so on. And, you know, uh, uh, do you know who Robert Svoboda is?
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: So he's part of our community but so he wrote these three books agora books the um left hand of god people from india and they're amazing i mean a lot of it he was real period you read these books and you know you know it's just incredible the third book is called the law of karma and in Mm -hmm. it he talks exactly about um the uh the past, uh, the DNA of the past incarnations and so on in a different way, in in the way of karma that is being handed down and down and down and down and you're absorbing, you God knows, you know, how many generations back or however that would work.
0: Yeah, that would totally make sense though, that DNA is karma. <laughs> like, you know, we think of it as like, biology is yeah right so a separate thing than what manifests you know from the spirit i mean it's just this is our container this lifetime and mm-hmm. you know there are sets of things that we'll take on and and i think it's you know and it's also the ways that we can change our karmas too we can you know shift into greater compassion and awareness and mm-hmm you know, go through each of our lessons
1: as well. Yeah, well, that's what we want to talk about here. Uh, Neurodiversity. diversity. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, uh, yeah, we need to get uh, the most plain explanation of, of what this is and what we're, everybody, what I'm looking forward to is being able to um, reconstitute the habitual patterns into something that's more, shall we say, productive in terms of getting free of uh, as it was told to us, krod mo lo, you know, greed, lust, you know, attachment. So uh, there apparently is an opportunity for us if we can realize it a little bit that it is possible. Th- we things can change. So tell us, how in the world can that happen?
0: Well, you first asked about neurodiversity.
1: Yeah. So, well, we're going to start there because it's premised on on right? Yeah. on being on that being the premise which from which we can actually enact stuff change hopefully.
0: Yeah. And well, neurodiversity encompasses about 1 in 5 people, so it's about 20% of the population. Um and that includes people that have different brain wiring, basically. Um, A big part of my book that I argue a lot more about is the fact that, in fact, we're all unique individuals, that we each come in with our very own brain print. So a really cool study that came out showed that when people were in a scanner, they looked at their brain and then they did this uh, MRI and in that, they did a very specific type of um, reconstruction and were able to parcelate out the brain in even better depth. So it offered about double the amount of uniqueness. And what they found is that they could match each brain with each individual. And so Ragu's brain prints are really different than Nicole's, even though we have you know, this... Gross structures that are very, you know, we both have a frontal cortex. We both have, you know, these areas in our brain, in our visual systems. But then at the same time, they're unique to the way we think and process. Later on, what scientists also found too, by putting kids in a scanner that they between ages like seven to 23, they showed them a model for learning. And in that, they looked at 17 different brain networks. And what they found was each individual had a different network lit up to the way that they learned. So Mm. what I really get at, um, you know, when I talk about neurodiversity, because there are absolute differences when we think about the way people think and process the world. And I really like to look at it through the lens of a strengths-based model rather than these are things we need to fix. Mm-hmm. Standard medical, you know, research science always wants to find a way to say how people are different. And if you're different, therefore you're less than. And um, a big part of the advocacy around neurodiversity is to say, no, 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 different isn't less. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And and there are so many beautiful strengths mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that's that a byword for so much today. It's just <laughs> different. Right? Yeah. Around so and many different issues. You know, um, I, I just misspoke because I'm such a newbie to all of this. Really right? what I was thinking about uh, when I said, you know, hey, we have the chance to change. I'm talking about basic change patterns and, and, and so on was the neural plasticity. Yeah. That is an encouraging thing. So yeah. let's talk. Yeah. Talk about that, that there is a reality. There is amazing.
0: Yeah. We all have the ability for neuroplasticity and in our, in our life, we have these critical periods in our brain um, that allow for expanded brain growth. So, A really cool thing is we know through development, you know, you have critical periods for language, you have this plasticity that comes about um, in adolescence. And we know um, that even into our mid-30s, the area that we do for all our thinking and all our processing, that that frontal cortex develops. But what's even cooler is how meditation how there's been practically over 16,500 papers that show the way that through different meditative practices, we can wire our minds and we can have neuroplasticity. And we have these windows of opportunities to wire our mind for kind of more equanimity, compassion. Um, and specifically, we know how meditation really is a doorway um into the part of our brain that's really important for social connection, communication, and mm. um, you know, developing these networks for greater trust and compassion for other people and for ourselves.
1: Isn't that where some of us started doing some substances
0: and we <laughs> yeah. found
1: the truth of what you're saying? Yeah. Um, Back in uh, Ramdas being a central advocate there?
0: Yes. Absolutely.
1: And, and, that's what, and that's what's going on now. I mean, it is so I mean the, the reality of 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 treating PTSD and death and addiction and so on with enthineogens and people who are really learning how to guide and therapy people that really need help and it's working is a pretty fantastic thing.
0: Yeah. And the way, so the similarity that you have, so for example, when you think about meditation and, and like the phrase with Zen Buddhism, right, is that the beginner's mind. So like meditation, hallucinogenics, provide a doorway for an opening of that critical period and Mm. that experience of that oneness. And so when you open up these critical periods, specifically um, for some, for like social, emotional connection and learning, you know, and you're in a therapeutic setting or maybe not, you know. But you're close enough. Maybe you're with a, a little to-
1: set in setting <laughs> takes place, so <shall> we say <laughs> at the very least.
0: Yeah, and and you kind of go in with the intention of knowing what you're going in for, you know, and what neural patterns you want to rewire, um, and especially, I mean, when you're in a therapeutic setting and you set it up with an intention, um, and you're processing what. um, kind of can be rewired what's so amazing about the doorway of a hallucinogenic is that it is opening up that critical period for that neuroplasticity to happen where you can rewire new networks and let go of that trauma permanently
1: Mm, yeah
0: and and come into a space where you have more more social connections with each other and what's really interesting is with the process like when we know that social emotional learning there is a critical period but in through our lives we know for example that the serotonin kind of goes away over time but with hallucinogenics it opens it back up so you get both not just the social reward of the dopamine but you get that serotonin where you get that reworking of that circuitry happening mm. and when that happens you have um that engagement again where you can kind of heal that trauma that you may have suffered
1: yeah and and you're right i mean this is open the door to it is open through practice be it meditation chanting Reading from the Bible. I mean, whatever it is, practice. I don't know why I said that. Do you know that we ended up in India with Ramdas a second time? And all we heard about was Christ, and we started reading the Bible. I'd never read the Bible in my entire life, okay? Uh, on multiple reasons. A, I wasn't Christian, but I mean, the Old Testament for sure. And now that seems like one of the greatest things I did and we used to sit around with Ramdas and we'd read from the gospels i mean all the way back then it's amazing um anyhow i don't know how we got there except for the fact is that we oh, the door opens through practice for sure and uh certainly psychedelics as you say there's a period of time and we are, most people take psychedelics um profoundly shall we say when they're younger right i mean that's the way it was i think we still get mail hey i i took uh some psilocybin and someone gave me be here now wow i never heard of ramdas you know that kind of thing so uh yeah so i guess that period that formative period is extremely important but now what about as we you know we get to middle age and we have well-developed habitual patterns. Neurotic tendencies, we've got it all going. You know, the movie of me, which is this thing <laughs> Duncan and I just put out. Uh, that is, how do we get to the movie of we is what we were speaking to. But then speak to it from, from the plasticity, the neuroplasticity for yeah. people that have, now you're in a really tough zone where you've mm-hmm. got some solid shit that you could do. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I love that you say it's the movie of we, right? That's what psychedelics offers. That's what practice offers is shifting out of that fear space and into the love space. And so what's so profound when we begin to practice, so like, let's just take chanting as a very simple practice of repeating mantra, right? When you're doing that, scientifically, you're reducing your fear circuitry. They show that people who are in Navy SEALs use mantra to reduce really?
1: fear. Really? I didn't know. Yeah. Wow.
0: And so when we just think about a simple act, and when you're talking about practice, and it goes all the way to reading the Gospels and seeing what... Christ consciousness is, that it is love, right? It is what Ram Dass talked about for loving awareness. And coming into that space of love versus fear is what dissolves that separateness. And it's the same thing that psychedelics can do where all of a sudden the I the one the me the only me my experience dissolves and you sit in the space where you are one with everything and that becomes a doorway that can enhance your practice you don't have to do psychedelics at all you can practice and 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 we know just through practice you can wire your mind and have positive neuroplasticity and change it. I mean, you know, Sharon Salzberg talks about when she was doing, you know, meta meditation for a month, right? And after a month, she was like, this just isn't working. And she spilled something and she said, oh, you idiot, Sharon. And then she caught herself and said, you're not an idiot. You're okay. And it's that catching ourselves It's that remembering and letting go of that self-critical voice that is so hard on us Mm. all the time. And that's kind of what all of these practices do for our neuroplasticity is as we start to like like reduce that grip inside ourselves, all of a sudden that grip on other people, things don't matter as much. Somebody being late, somebody making a mistake. All of a sudden it's, oh, we're in this together. You know, and that and that muscle of compassion comes in. Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, Sharon has an alter ego that she dumps all this shit on <laughs> named Lucy. <laughs> oh, Lucy, what did you do there? What was that all about?
0: <laughs> well, we need that. We need yeah. the we need something to dump it, and that's okay.
1: Someone you know. to dump <laughs> it into. Ah, uh, that's so great. Um, talk about uh you have one thing called mirror mirror, but the mirror neuron system. This is you know, this is actually quite important in terms of reflection and so on. So yeah, talk about that.
0: Well, I mean, this is like pivotal, like of everything you first did with Ram Das, right? When you met him and you gaze into one another's eyes and the whole exercise of eye gazing and Looking and letting down those defenses. So, scientifically, we know that we see each other in our minds. So, there are these neurons in our brain called mirror neurons, um, and they activate every time we see somebody doing something we can imagine we're doing. So, they're kind of the cornerstone of what you would call theory of mind. And when we think about that, and somebody's suffering, right? And there's, and we have empathy, these neurons fire. And so the more in tune we are with others' experiences, the more awareness we have that is activated. And it's how we see one another that you and I are one, in fact. And rather than, you know, it it dissolves a bit of that separateness and we can have that inner interconnection um, more and more as we, you know, like the Mirabai Bushes and Ram Dasses, oh, yeah. Just Like Me, right? The Just Like Me meditation mm. is a direct reflection to activate the mirror neuron system and mm. for us to see other beings suffer too, you know?
1: Yeah, well, empathy is, of course, immediately uh, present. There's no way, unless you're a complete, you know, there are many devastatingly wounded people in this world who have no relationship with outside themselves. Sure. Um, But for the most part, that is true. We all have that deep down inside. And the development of it, in my mind, is through practice that turns from empathy into compassion which is a more active um, principle for people to end up in a situation where that is how we recognize each other as all being part of the one is through compassion so Ramdas has talked a lot about there's some great stuff anybody out there want in terms of Ramdas, related to uh, compassion and generosity, it's quite quite wonderful. Um,
0: yeah, and when you think when you're talking about compassion, it's really the most skillful means in action, right? A difference between empathy, a core difference between empathy and compassion, for me is, you know, the example like a child skids and hurts themselves, right, and has that you know bumps into a wall. And they're crying. Empathy is feeling it with them and crying with them. (laughs) Or if you want to have compassion, you relieve their suffering. You offer them a hug. You rub the area where they've been injured. And so that's kind of the difference where compassion is the action, the most qualified action in that moment, which can change from time to time. And so when you're talking about generosity and compassion, that comes back to the loop in the sense that when we have altruistic actions that are for the benefit of all beings that that in itself enhances our compassion but not only that that enhances our long-term reward system so those are like mm. the 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 helping you know where you get the helper's high right because you get a positive dopamine rush rather than, you know, a transient, you know, it's a long lasting because you're part of something bigger than yourself. You're connected to other things versus a transient one where you go and you, you know, get yourself a brand new car, you know, that wears (laughs) off. Um, Whereas a long-term act of generosity um, really has the effect um, that is, that it's intended for. And, and I mean, even when you think about generosity and the cycle of it, it, it is really just sharing. Like you even think about, I think about how Maharaji would say to you, you know, all the money in the world is mine. And like for a being to think that, and then you think about different spiritual teachers that have used, that in in a very unique way and position themselves, for example, um, Mm. you know, (laughs) Osho.
1: No, that's just, (laughs) that's just, that's just human reality. There's no, uh, there's no accounting or understanding any of that. But with Neem Karoli Bhava, we understood Uh, without our minds and to be able to express it of course we have to use our minds but he was that place that he was coming from wasn't a there was no polarization of a me and a you all Mm. money in the world is mine it's impossible to understand that maybe if you are really lost your ego on acid maybe (laughs) you you get a glimpse and that's all you get is a glimpse but i mean I'm, i'm kidding but the reality is uh that's what this whole the book we I did with Duncan was the movie of me to the movie of we and how do we get to the movie of we? Well, it was, and in the end, and we had a, we've had a lot of great you know references to many different teachers he, I, whatever, and in the end, it was Ramdas. Mm-hmm. It was an excerpt I took. this so beautiful. It was around generosity and compassion. And the mm. way those two tie together, because when that is existent, even for a moment, you are no longer involved with the I, me, me, me. You, you aren't because you're, you're going to, in, in the case you were talking, you're going to help the child one way or the other. You're taking the action. As soon as you do that, you are not thinking of me, me, me anymore. And you are in, in, in part of that incredible infinite uh, structure of of the universe of of souls or you can call them anything you want souls is just one word to identify that who we are that is beyond these um momentary excursions into an incarnation
0: mm-hmm.
1: um I also wanted to uh, you. You talk about anxiety, so this here's another thing that everybody can agree on. We all get anxiety, day to day, part of being human. So, but you were pointing out that there's a very appropriate anxiety, and part of our DNA about what keeps us alive, and yet there's an anxiety that we don't need to take on. You talk about it from from the neuroscience point of view?
0: Well, when we think about anxiety, I mean, it's always been categorized as it's not healthy. The reality is, is that transient anxiety that we can have rise up, you know, gets us to wake up, you know, (laughs) get to our desk, do our job, you know, is an element that we, you know, we have a deadline, we have to get something done. Um, The persistent anxiety that can exist is very different, Um, you know, and transient anxiety lasts 40 minutes. So anything that persists longer than that um, becomes really unhealthy on our nervous system where we get an influx of um, inflammation and that inflammation that we can have is not solely happening in our brain, but it's happening throughout our body where we can experience, you know, physical manifestations. We could get headaches, we can get backaches, you know, wherever it kind of resonates in the body. Um, And so when we think about anxiety and the relationship of the kind of world we live in, you know, especially when we think about these global events that are occurring, when we think about, you know, climate crisis, you know, we can have our nervous system primed for the worst case scenario. And, you know, Mm. I kind of, you know, I'm going to talk about this in a sideways, because in a scientific perspective, there's this whole idea that there's this negativity bias that in terms of the way that our brains are primed that we are out there to see danger and we don't live you know out in the saharas anymore and so there isn't as much immediate danger there isn't that lion that is in ragu's office right now or here a and and lion
1: just attacked uh, somebody not that far away, <laughs> a few miles. Took their dog and they had to chase the lion. Okay, so this is not that.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, do you have mountain lions?
1: Yeah, 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 it's yeah. Scary. I don't know what to do. I mean, can you imagine these two guys chased the mountain lion up the hill and screaming and going crazy? It had the dog in its mouth and uh, and oh. they managed to scare it. Away. And they got the dog back a little. Did the, the dog survive? Survived. Wow. Unbelievable. A second time I've heard about this in the local news in two months. Not more. <laughs> okay. So we're back to the Sahara, I got to tell you. <laughs> uh,
0: so strike everything I just said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I, yes. Yes. Um, And we, yeah, look, we went through, you know, into the the industrial age, what, 200 years ago or something? Nothing, really, in the scope of of time. And here we are. We don't know what the hell we're doing and what's going on. And the anxiety is taking a different shape, I would say.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there are real mountain lions in the case of (laughs) (laughs) ragu, And um Actually in the local mountains here too, but um yeah, in general, but like you're saying, the anxiety has taken a new, you could feel it, you breathe it, it's in the air. And so when we come back to how to shift out of that, it really comes back to our practice and the basic uses of how we can wire our minds out of that um and recognize what elements of anxiety are productive for us and which are really pulling us out, right? Because the whole point of be here now, whether it's thoughts of anxiety and that, you know, we didn't talk about this, but we have close to like 60,000 thoughts a day. Yeah. So ouch. some of us could have even more, right? (laughs) You're going to say, well, no, I have (laughs) a hundred (laughs) thousand. And Uh. so, but when you think about that, like that is super freaking intense. And so where we focus our attention, where we focus our awareness is the piece that matters when it comes to how to calm our nervous systems back down, or at least witness and acknowledge it. And, um, there's this one study. So that came out that was really Pivotal. And it showed, it, it was at UC Berkeley, where they identified that we have close to 27 core emotions. <laughs> and what they found was transient anxiety lasts close to 40 minutes, like I said. And then simultaneously, they found that the longest standing emotion was sadness. And it lasted 130 hours.
1: Oh, my God, really?
0: Yeah. And in contrast, Mm -hmm. and in contrast to that, gratitude lasts five hours and joy lasts up to 35 hours. So this is kind of where the concept of um, the work of Rick Hansen really comes in, where we can kind of prime our nervous system and start to think about taking in the good. So as not, not as a spiritual bypass, not to not acknowledge when suffering arises. So there was this one time I literally was giving a talk about the nervous system and our emotions. And right before I got on a plane to go speak, I found out somebody had passed away. Mm. And I was like, oh gosh, you know, Mm. and I realized I had to show up. And then I thought about the study and I said, okay, there's 130 hours. That's sadness. It's not grief. But I I thought sadness is one of the stages. And that gave me a little, uh, just enough to recenter my mind and say, okay, this is impermanent. It's not going to last forever. I could get on the plane. I could do this talk and it's going to be okay. And it, it allowed me to have, so it's sort of like having the information that the science could say, okay, there is an actual endpoint to this suffering. And then using whatever practice it is that gets you to shift your awareness into the space of being able to witness it and not be consumed by it really is is that space Mm -hmm. where the anxiety doesn't become the story.
1: Yeah, yeah. Making friends with... uh, impermanence, uncertainty is what the development we would hope that everybody could get to with some practice. So you're not, yes, you're going to immediately react if someone passes and you get that information and you're in the midst of whatever else you have to do related to other humans who are counting on you or whatever. And there is a moment that suddenly there's spaciousness. And you can you can be with both things. That's what Ramdas used to say. I've said this a billion times on podcasts. He used to say you can be on more than one plane of consciousness at the same time. So you can be in the in the sadness of of that moment and and grief, and you can be in the moment where we are not separate and nothing begins nor ends and that's a difficult thing especially in of course with someone passing like that that's very difficult but it's ultimately um i've seen him he did it i've seen him do it personally ramdas absolutely when our good friend's daughter passed he was right with him and ramdas was completely here not disparaging the the horrible grief and sadness of, lo- in this case, losing a child, but also being in the place that she is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these things are possible. That's all. I just want to make sure everybody understands. Yes, it's possible, absolutely possible to uh, go inside and work on oneself to have that kind of an outcome, and he was living proof of it. And
0: he taught you so much on how to be living proof in ways.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't be here without him for sure. And I, I'm, i you know, he's been gone, what, four years. Um, I'm living proof that, you know, <laughs> or it is living proof that uh, that is real. He hasn't gone anywhere. Because I have to talk to him all the time because I used to on the phone. Now I have to do it uh, on another plane of consciousness. And he's quite there in terms of uh, all of the ways in which uh, I used to call him and say, look, my self-interest is involved here. What am I going to do about this? You know, ambition, whatever it might be. And he he just laughed, you know. And <laughs> he Without saying a word sometimes, he would just undercut this kind of self-seriousness, right? Which is a problem for us. Hey, do you want to talk about the... Uh, I, oh, wait, go I ahead, want to see what
0: you're... Yeah, you always want to keep changing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I love what you're talking about, though, because it's, I mean, when you think about it, it's like, I never met Ram Dass in the body, but I talk to him all the time, too. And I right. mean, it's, and... Yeah. more. And, He's so alive, you know, he's alive through all the books, through all your podcasts, through all your teachings about him. I mean, loving awareness is, I mean, it's him, you know, it's in every like fabric that I feel is, is part of Love Serve Remember and, and all these different podcasts where You know, it's different voices, it's different perspectives, and it's also the one singular voice. See,
1: this is a testimonial, everybody out there, so (laughs) it won't get any better than this. I couldn't do it better myself if I tried. Okay, (laughs) testimonial for, well, it's a testimonial for what love, serve, remember really is. Just like be here now is beyond the aphorism. To a, you know, something that without that, it's going to be a very difficult life. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, um, we're very fortunate. And his thing was all about sharing. Remember you mentioned that before? This kind of sharing, um, is in, you know, just, it's an intimate way for us to open up with everybody around us. Is sharing. And that's what Ramdas represents. He couldn't stop sharing. He was told, Don't share, don't tell anybody about me, Neem Karoli Baba said. And that's all he did. And he later said to me, I how could I not share that jewel? You know? It's yeah. impossible. So that's true compassion. So that's what we're trying to we're trying to point out here. There's a possibility that we can all change enough uh, of of these patterns that we have. And come from a a little bit of a different perspective. And uh, it's amazing how real uh, change is. It's real. Yeah. Okay, so now I want to hear about the gut. The last thing here, because we don't have much time. The gut and the brain connection. I got a real problem with that.
0: Oh, well, I I mean.
1: Terrible uh, digestion issues that I'm getting treated for. Mm. Uh, because of india mostly mm. india killed me dead mm. that way it was worth it though uh but yeah talk about the the gut and the brain i very well understand the basic principle but i think it's yeah. a good, good thing for every for all of us to understand
0: well when we think about the gut brain connection so really quick one thing we were talking about with anxiety really quick that mm. i want to say from a physiological standpoint that mm. i forgot to mention is literally when we take three deep breaths, so we're talking about the love space versus the fear space. Mm. Um, When we take three deep breaths, we have that release of positive neurochemicals of oxytocin and vasopressin, which are two neurotransmitters, which increase our trust and our sense of connection with others. And it also kind of opens up to be more spacious, like literally our body vasodilates. So you have less constriction, you have more oxygen flow happening all throughout your body. Um, And so just three simple, taking three simple deep breaths, like changes our physiology Mm. um, Mm. and shift us out of that anxiety. And the way that can relate when we're thinking about the gut brain connection. So we have on average, 100 billion neurons. And then in our gut, we have close to 700 million neurons. So like the size of a cat brain lives in our belly. (laughs) (laughs) And what's even more crazy about that is there are neurotransmitters specifically. So when we're talking about rewiring our minds, we have close to 80% of our, no, 90% of our serotonin is made by our gut. So that's our kind of social, emotional, feel-good hormone. And then 50% of our um, dopamine is made that way. And that's kind of our reward. So when we think about a dysregulation or when the gut is not happy, um, that's gonna vastly affect our mental states. The other complicated factor about our gut is that 70% of our immunity is made in our GI. So those immune cells also have a really important element in terms of neuroinflammation and the way that you have that directional, bi-directional kind of things happening between the gut and the brain. Mm. And you know, Shiva, Shiva and Shakti. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if, if, uh, Shakti is not happy in your gut, then, you know, the awareness is going to be really hard.
1: Mm. That's Um, a simple, direct way to put it. Yes.
0: (laughs) But, um, yeah. And so the other complicating thing too, is like the microbiome that we have, um, and what we're learning so much more is having a happy gut so having good microbes um healthy microbes can really combat um chronic gi issues and can increase positive mood so like researchers at UCLA simply found taking probiotics can reduce anxiety and increase a sense of well-being and um positive mental
1: health Mm. Mm. food for thought
0: (laughs) (laughs) i like that yeah
1: um there's a great thing we can go out on this i this is you put a quote in here from gandhi gandhi g Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, one summer when we were with Nim Karoli Baba, we went all up to Kosani where uh, to a Gandhi ashram where he had written one of his books and we all stayed, about 20, 30 people stayed there and did this, you know, I don't know, a couple of months thing. I don't know how, he just got rid of us because any chance he could to get rid of us, he took. Uh, yeah. However that really works is another thing. But... Um, Yeah, Gandhi was very important to us. Your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values. Your values become your destiny. I never ever came across that. And it's so fantastic. Where would you find that? Remember?
0: I was... I think it was in one of his books I was searching. Oh, yeah? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. No, that's incredible. Hey, Nicole, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you, Raghu, for having me.
1: Absolutely. And uh, we'll, uh, the book is available, right? But we
0: know we didn't do it, so it's all okay.
1: Yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's I the
0: story be- of we. <laughs> I don't believe any
1: of that. Um <laughs> uh, uh, the book is available still, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. So on all major areas, wherever yeah, you. So we'll we'll put get. a
1: link to Amazon or whatever there. Yeah, and uh, you'll let me. And know I'm going to
0: have you- a study guide coming out later this year, and the audiobook is coming out.
1: Study? Did you say?
0: A study guide, yeah. For- what is that? going to be. um It's to kind of lead a uh, parent and educator and psychology groups um, on how to talk about these different things mm. um, in school systems for advocacy for their children.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, whatever else you let me know, and we'll put it in the show notes. Everybody can go to com slash mindrolling. And uh, we're put all the links and little surmisel of everything so you can share that with everybody and you can find out what else is up on the be here now network we've got some surprising and wonderful new podcasts coming up so yeah get yourself signed on to the newsletter that'll be good and we shall see you next week thanks again Nicole.
0: thank you thank you <laughs>